Good evening, my lovelies, and welcome to another episode of Cerberus with me, Miss Bradley. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys today. Um, I was going to continue with my series of badass women of history. I was going to do Joan of Arc today, but someone that I love very much, someone very near and dear to my heart, um, asked me to do something else. And the reason why they asked me to do something else is because of things going on in my life right now. You see, I've got some kind of crazy stuff going on in my life. And they thought that, and their request was, that I do... That I do an episode on me and my story because, and I quote, they say that I'm my own badass bitch. So, because it was requested and because of who requested it, I'm going to do just that. I'm going to tell my story. And so, that's what today is. Now, I want to go ahead and preface this with, it is not an easy story. It is not a lighthearted story in some parts. Um, And I also recommend, Mom, if you are listening to this, don't listen to this episode. Um, In fact, I really don't want you to if you're listening, Mom. Um, Or my brother. Because some of the things in this episode are not so great. So, um, FYI, trigger warning here, if you are triggered by messages of trauma, um, things that can happen in people's lives, just, if you are easily triggered, I recommend not listening to this one. Um, I know in other episodes I have touched on things that have happened in my life before, things that have gone on and things that I am very, you know, adamant about. But um, if I'm going to tell my story, I might as well start at the beginning and tell it all. So I'm not going to pull, you know, one of those chapter one, I was born. I'm not going to do that. But that's basically where this starts. My, um, My earliest memory is actually um, of a fight with my cousin, Jessa. She, um, I was three and she wanted the toy I was playing with. It was a truck. And I remember that the, the window had white curtains. They were like made of like a lacy material and the carpet was gray and my hair was cut in such a strange way I had like straight across the forehead bangs um, and she wanted my truck and I didn't want to give it to her and nobody else was awake because we were awake early for whatever reason and I remember that she pinched me so I went into my mom's and dad's room and I, I woke up my mom and I go Jessa pinched me she goes well pinch her back okay so you tell a three-year-old to pinch someone back so I did so then she pinched me back and we had a pinching fight till she finally bit me. And I was like, all right, cool. So I bit her back. And that's just what we did. Hi, Pharaoh. You cannot have my cup of water. 
my little kitty pharaoh decided he wanted to come up and play. Get off. Get down. <laughs> He's a very, very curious little baby. He's about three months old now. Three, three and a half months. So that's my earliest memory is that, um, and I find it humorous because, bro, you cannot drink out of my straw. <laughs> Imagine a little bitty teeny tiny kitty cat. Oh, come here. You are going to mess stuff up. Come here. He's mostly white with little gray stripes all down his back. And he's sitting here trying to drink out of my straw. Um, but anyway, um, so that's my earliest memory. And uh, when my family finally woke up, they were flabbergasted because Jessa and I were covered in bites and, and pinches. And it was great. That same day, I know that my Aunt Beth and... My mom, me, my brother, and Jessa, and I don't know if Jared was around yet then. I don't think so. We, um, because Jessa's my age, so no. Um, we all saw a double rainbow for the first time, and I learned the song about a rainbow, you know? Um, everyone knows Roy G. Bibb, but this one was, um, you know, the red and yellow and pink and green purple and orange and blue. I can sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow too. Hi. Farrah was very vocal tonight too. Um, but I learned the little rainbow song and um, went from there. Um, this is when we were living in Gainesville in Texas. Um, or it could have been living in Denton in Texas. Um, but either way, it was definitely when we were living in Texas. I don't have any memory before then, but I do remember the day that we moved into our house in Callisburg in Texas. And I'll never forget it. We were at a gas station. We bought a big bag of popcorn and me, my dad, my brother, my mom, we went into the house after it was closed on and the carpet in the living room was green like almost a mossy green color and we went in there and the sun was so bright through the windows in the front um living room and we just laid on the floor and ate the popcorn and it was incredible and i just remember such joy for my parents moving into that place um gosh i i think i was four five at the time i i don't even remember it wasn't that long I think after the rainbow day, but, um, no. And so that's where I lived from the, that point until we were, until we moved in 2001 to Virginia. And a lot of my formative years happened in that house, you know, a lot of good memories and a lot of bad memories and things kind of jumble around for me a little bit as to when things happened, because honestly, there are times that I just don't remember the right timeline. And there are chunks of time in my memory that are just gone. Um, there are several chunks in my memory that are just gone because they're gone. I, either from trauma or from just not remembering for being a child or what. But um, I remember distinctly being a young girl in the backyard 
And mind you, the backyard in Texas was the most amazing backyard for a girl like me. Um, first, you go out on the back patio, which um, there was no door going back out to the patio at that time. Um, that was added in way, 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 way later. But back patio. Um, and there was this lovely tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was, but I could climb it. And so I put this giant rock up against the tree so that I could climb it easier. And eventually over the years, the rock, the tree grew over the rock, believe it or not. Um, and when we moved at the time, the rock was actually a part of the tree. Um, it had grown around it to the point that you could not take the rock out. So it had been well over 10 years since that rock had been put up there. Well, no, not 10 years. I moved when I was 11, so it couldn't have been. Um, probably like seven or eight years that it got put in there. Um, maybe seven. <sighs> but um, there was wild growth. Um, there were wild strawberries that grew to the left. On the fence was honeysuckle. On the next fence over were wild roses that grew and covered the shed. If you didn't know the shed was there, you wouldn't know because of all the, the growth. And next to that was a peach tree, which ended up dying, getting um, taken over by fire ants. They basically made it into their um, their personal mound, like their mound went up into the tree. It was very strange. It was not safe. We had a little um, barrel that we would burn our trash in right there. Um, and next to it was this giant, like round pine tree. I don't know what kind of tree it is, um, but they're round and kind of piney. Um, and then there was this tree that had little bitty plums on it and they were delicious. They were about the size of large grapes. And we would constantly just pull the, the little plums off and eat them. And I, that is something that I remember from the entire time that we lived in Texas is those little plums. And then on the next fence over, um, where the neighbors had this giant freaking dog that made me think of, like, I think his name was Scooby, but he was a mastiff. And it just, he, he, he was scary at the time. Um... But there were wild blackberries that just grew there, and they were delicious. No one else really ate them but me, because I love blackberries. And to me, the flavor of a freshly picked blackberry straight off the vine will always be one of my favorites. Um, nothing, There's nothing like it. You can't get that from a store, even a farmer's market. Like, straight from the vine into your mouth, best flavor. Um, spitting out seeds, but yeah. And in the middle of the yard was this giant tree. It was huge. And little me couldn't even put my arms around it. It was gigantic. It was just in the middle and it gave lots of shade. And that was my backyard. And it was perfect. And um, I remember being out in that backyard just playing, rolling around. I remember one time my dad gave me a clover flower and said to eat it and I was like no nah, I'm not gonna eat it he picks one himself and he eats it and says oh it's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten 
So, of course, me being gullible and daddy's girl at the time, um, I ate the daggone coal over flour. And lo and behold, it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever eaten in my life. Don't ever eat a clover flower. I'm telling you right now, don't do it. Um, <laughs> my dad was a prankster. He, he enjoyed playing practical jokes on people. Things like saran wrap in the toilet so that uh, when you pee, it goes everywhere. Of course, he'd stay up and laugh his butt off as he helped you clean it up. You know, or saran wrap across the door so you don't see it and you can't walk into a door. Or, uh, leaving a whoopee cushion under the cushion of the couch. Just silly stuff like that. My dad loved it. So, getting me to eat a clover flower and it be the nastiest thing I've ever experienced. Well, now I've had nastier stuff, but that was the nastiest stuff I'd ever experienced at the time. Um, that's par for the course for my dad. He just, he was hilarious. But I remember, um, as a young girl and being a gifted young girl, and I'm not talking academically, I was gifted academically, but, um, I was also gifted with the sight when I was very young as well. And so I would see what my parents referred to as, or at least my mother referred to as invisible friends or imaginary friends, but to me, they were real. Um, an older woman used to come and visit me sometimes and she would talk to me about plants and she would talk to me about the sky and animals and birds. And she would just talk to me about the wind. And it was an older, I know now a native American woman. She had, what are you doing Pharaoh? <laughs> he wants to be part of the podcast so badly. Um, she had a braid over one shoulder and one single feather in her hair. And she wore clothes made out of like, almost like an animal hide, but not all of it. Like some of it was woven like a blanket. And she had these cute little shoes on that just perfectly fit her feet and she was old, but you couldn't really tell unless you really looked into her eyes and you could see all of her, her age. And she was just beautiful in her age, barely wrinkled. And her hair was so gray and she was just gorgeous. And she would come and talk to me. Um, and then another one was a gentleman. He was tall. And he had a gun and I had a toy rifle, so we would play. And um, he wore a uniform. When I was older, I found out it was a Confederate uniform. And the young man, unfortunately, would never show me the back of his head. Until one day I caught him and he took off his hat. And there was a giant hole in the back of his head. And other ones would come through, different strange spirits would come through and just talk to me. And it just, I always had someone to play with if there was no one around. Um, you know, there's also nobody. Um, he was just this kind of amorphous blob type creature that would move stuff. And I always got in trouble for the things he did 
And I would tell my mom, oh, no, it was nobody. Well, yeah, of course it was nobody. Nobody did it, right? But to me, nobody was a guy. He would move things and do things, and he would sit there and laugh while I got in trouble for it. And uh, that's what I remember then. But ever since I was young, my parents, you see, my parents had us a little too young for their health, for their mental health. Both of my parents had a lot of mental health issues. Both of them were raised the Southern way, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. And of course, my mom was also sexually assaulted as she was growing up. And my mom was not properly treated by her parents growing up and just bad things happened to my mother and bad things happened to my father um his own father killed himself hung himself because he had leukemia you know and they were a very southern family so very very strict and so they had us a little too young for what happened and they they were not ready for children. Mind you, they weren't young as far as, like, their parents were as young as they were. My dad was a year younger than my mom, and my mom is currently 62. She had me at 30, and my brother three years before, 27. But she had not yet worked through her issues and her mental problems, and neither had my father. Also, my father ended up with some very severe PTSD from his time in the military, from being an EMT, from just his life. Some severe PTSD. And he hadn't worked through any of that either. And so, growing up, the slightest thing that we did wrong, we would be beaten for it. Um... Anything that we said wrong, anything that we did wrong, we would be beaten for it. And I don't mean a spanking. There is a difference between being spanked and being beaten. A spanking is a hand or a paddle, and it's three, four, just a few swipes, and you're done. Beating is beating to the point of bruises, black and blue, of bleeding, of leading, leaving welts on the skin, um, my family was very known in the church, in the community, and my parents were always very careful to only hit us in places that could not be seen. Um, nobody knew, and we didn't know any better. So, nine times out of ten, I had welts all over my back and my rear end, up my thighs, um bruises, black bruises, brown bruises, and I I heal from bru bruises rather slowly. So there would be bruises on top of bruises from beatings for whatever reason that my parents felt it was right. Um, I never grew out of my sarcastic tone or tongue. And so that a lot of the time was the reason why I was beaten for my tone of voice. Um, I've always had clipped um, tone when speaking, especially when I'm not pleased about something. 
And I've never been very keen on cleaning my room completely to the way that my father liked it. Being from the Navy, there's a place for everything and everything should be in its place. And being extremely religious, both parents, there is a certain amount of cleanliness next to godliness that they tried to instill in us. So that was a lot of my beatings as well. But sometimes it was just because I looked at them wrong or because I wasn't to them fast enough when they called me or sometimes um, I took too long getting back home from the corner store or what have you. I, I took too long coming inside from playing or I didn't close the door and lock it or just different things you name it there it happened there was one time my brother and I got into a fight we were um always fighting my brother and I he has scars up and down his arms and so do I from our fights and if my parents ever caught us fighting of course we get beat um but there was one time that we were like fighting in the tub because we were stupid and I smacked him with a towel. And of course, he went and cried to my dad sm that he got smacked with a towel. So my dad called me out to him. And he told me to come to him. So of course, I knew I was about to get beat. So I sat down on the floor. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. And my father took my hand in his. And he explained to me, you know, what did you do wrong? And I told him. You know, I hit Jimmy with a towel. He goes, okay. I'm not going to hurt you. And I was like, okay. He goes, do you trust me? I was like, well, yeah, you're my dad. So he ripped me up off the floor and beat the shit out of me with his belt. After telling me he wasn't going to hurt me. So. The worst was waiting for it. I had a daybed and I would be made to bend over that daybed and hold on to the bars while I was beaten by either my father or my mother. Mind you, they'd use anything that they had at hand to do so. My mom broke spoons over us, um, paint stirrers, brushes, you name it, <coughs> spatulas. My dad preferred his belt. To this day, the sound of a belt being unraveled through someone's, um, Belt loops sets my teeth on edge. I cannot, I cannot hear that sound. Um, the presence of a belt being just there, especially a man's belt, like on the wall or just curled up on the counter, just waiting to be used as a weapon. It terrifies me. The only man, the only human I have ever been afraid of is my father. I love him dearly. And he was a good man. He just had problems. And I understand that. I can tell you all of the good things that I remember about him for days. I have hours and hours and hours of dialogue that I could tell you of what I remember about my father being such a good man and a good dad. But at the same time, when you have that level of mental illness... 
and you don't know how to handle it, you reach out to people. And I'm not excusing what happened. I'm just explaining that I understand what happened. I know why things happened the way that they did. And I understand why it happened and why it had to happen in my life. And I understand that. But his favorite weapon was a belt. He'd use other things sometimes, but typically a belt. And when he was particularly out of it, he'd use the wrong end and I'd be hit with the buckle. Uh, my brother always got it worse than I did because I was daddy's little girl. So my brother sometimes would be stripped down naked and beaten as he tried to run away. Um, again, this is the South. This is Texas. That was normal. We just didn't know that it wasn't normal for anywhere else. Every year, the school would send home a letter asking if we wanted the principal to if you wanted the principal to spank your children if they did something wrong in school. And every year my parents would sit us down with the paper and explain to us, if you get in trouble at school and you get beat by the principal, understand, you will not just get spanked by the principal, you will come home and we will beat you. And so it was. So it was. They would sign that paper. I was very careful never to get in trouble at school. I loved school. School has always been something that I enjoyed immensely. Um, in Texas, there's a lot of different academic programs. And at the school that I went to, you could compete with academics. I did creative writing, art recognition, and science. My brother did math because he's very good at math. Um, and I think he also did creative writing and science as well. And you would get these medals for your competitions and I always got the medal for creative writing. I was so good at it and I loved it. Um, the art recognition I was really good at too, but goodness knows my memory these days is not the best. Um, so I can only, you know, recognize certain ones that I remember. Um, but that was something I truly loved and truly enjoyed. But, um, I made sure never to get in trouble, but my brother, he would get himself in trouble. He's a little older than I am. And, uh, he, uh, would get himself in trouble to the point that my parents were on a first name basis with the principal of my brother's school. That was originally the, um, originally it went from middle school straight to high school and then they built an intermediate school. But when my brother went from middle school to high school, the principal went there too. Not, you know, it's just a coincidence. A guy got a promotion. And so that same principal would spank my brother and he'd have to can out the swats and then he'd come home and my dad would take him to the room and beat the shit out of him. So that's pretty par for the course for my life, especially in Texas. Now, at some point in there, I want to say I was six. I was sexually assaulted. I'm not going to say who it was because quite frankly, it's incredibly scandalous. Um, and I'm not trying to delve into that right now. Um, I've talked to this person and they don't remember it happening, or at least they claim they don't. Um, I've talked to this person and tried to, you know, see if I can come to terms with what happened. And honestly, I really, I have forgiven this person, but I do not trust this person. And 
When I told my soon-to-be ex-husband about it, his response was just, boys will be boys. Y'all were young. It happens. But that's not what happens. You do not get raped by someone when you are six years old. That is not what it is meant to happen. Not to someone that is older than you, that you trust and that you care for. And so that happened as well. And so during that time that that was happening, and it happened a few times, um, my parents didn't know. My, my parents, my mother still does not know. Another reason why I don't want her listening to this. Um, and I, I don't want her to know. But, of course, if she listens to this, she will. Um, it's just one of those things that happened to me. And I understand now, as an adult, you know, what it was and what happened and how things were. And the way it stopped was we were very religious, extremely so. And I went to that person. I was, I told them, God does not want this going on. I said, God does not want this to happen again. It can never happen again. And that person was very afraid of God and very afraid of the church. And so it stopped. If I had known that I could have done that from the very beginning, I would have. But, you know, living in Texas, the main thing you fear, your parents and your God. So as I got older, I want to say I was nine or ten, and our house burned. My mother, when her father died, had brought home, when we got came home from the... Uh, funeral we brought home my grandfather's truck I love old trucks like the really old ones that are made of really heavy metal and like they creak when you open them and they only have the one bench and like they smell of old leather and like ancient oil and such this thing was so old it had an eight track player in it <laughs> um if anyone in a younger generation knows what that is kudos but um had an eight track player in it and uh, we brought home also my grandfather's music collection and his sound system he was a lover of music and everyone um, in my family is also a huge lover of music um, my father could play almost any instrument you give to him you gave him a brass instrument you give him a woodwind you give him a guitar anything my father could play he could play the piano my mom could play the piano um, my brother is very similar along those lines. He can play any brass instrument or any percussion instrument you give to him. He can play some others. Um, I don't know if he can do flute. And I know he can't play the piano or guitar, but um, any brass instrument or percussion instrument, my brother can handle it. I'm a woodwind girl. I played clarinet, um, but I went on to just sing instead. Um, and to be fair, I wasn't that good at it. Um, clarinet, that is. <laughs> um, much better at singing and writing music. But nevertheless. So the sound system that we brought home from Tennessee to be in our place 
we used it for years. It was the best. It had a turntable on top where you could play records and down below had eight track player and cassette player and it had amazing sound and it was in this little, I guess, case that you kind of had to push closed. The problem is, is it was a very old sound system and mind you, again, Texas, 90s. The wiring was not the best. Our house was built in the 60s. So the wiring was not the best. So that sound system accidentally made a spark, which created a fire in the wall. And it smoldered there for hours until it finally broke out in actual flames. And my house burned. It didn't burn down, but it was mostly smoldering. So the two cats that we had at the time died. Um, everything in the house was covered in soot. And, um, we lost almost all of our possessions and, um, all of the food in the house and, um, just basically everything. And for my mother, one of the worst things that she lost is she was a huge, huge John Denver fan. She had every album he had put out and... All of them got ruined. She had so many amazing records that you can't find these days. One of which, and oddly enough, was the um, soundtrack to um, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, mind you, sounds weird, but is actually really good. Um, we had ghost stories on record that you can't find anymore. There were these little tiny green, orange, um, green and orange records little 45s and they had little ghost stories on them and uh one of them she had 45s of you know like the monster mash and all kinds of really great stuff and i love the sound of a record player i have a record player now i just don't have many records because it's hard to find the ones i'm looking for um like american graffiti and such like that you know it's hard to find it and so for my mom, that was the biggest loss. I'm actually trying to re-buy, repurchase all of those records for her. I've got several John Denver records, but um, I don't have them all. And when I get the entire set, I'm going to send them to her so that she can have them. Um, but I have a lot of them so far. Um, but the house burnt. And I will forever remember being on the bus that day hearing because you could see the smoke billowing um hearing kids chant the roof the roof the roof is on fire it was when that song came out the kids in the back of the bus mind you i was bullied from the time i was in kindergarten all the way up until ninth grade from kids being awful and so i just didn't realize it was about me until my bus driver dropped me off at my house and i was there by myself with my brother and uh, a couple of the neighbors and my house is on fire. My mom worked in Gainesville, which Gainesville to Callisburg was about half an hour, maybe 45 minutes because Callisburg's in the middle of the boonies. It's, it's nowhere. Like it's not on most maps. 378 people live there right now. Not thousand, 378. In fact, they, um, fire department is from Gainesville. So it took a while for someone to get there fire department wise. And then finally my mom got there 
And finally, my dad, who worked in Denton, which was about an hour, hour and 15 away, finally got home. My poor father, he ran into the house and had a massive PTSD break. He, when he was in the military, he was late for the first time in his life. That man was on time for everything. If you were five minutes early, you were late. Like that man was always on time. And the one time in his life that he was late, he was going to a bar in Afghanistan or Iraq. I don't remember which, but mind you, this was in the eighties. So we weren't at war with them, but there's always people that don't like Americans. And he was late going to a bar and all of his friends were in the bar and he was walking to the bar as he watched it explode. And when it was safe for him to go inside, he did. And of course, he didn't find his friends. He just found parts of them. So when he came to our home and saw, you know, the fire and everything that had happened, he ran inside and he thought he was looking for his friends. He didn't understand that this was the 90s, not the 80s. He didn't understand that this was our home and not a bar in the Middle East. He didn't understand. He had a mental breakdown. And so we lived in hotels for a short time. Um, we lived, you know, the, um, the Red Cross helped us out, gave us vouchers for food and for stamp, um, for clothes and such, and gave us toothbrushes and, you know, the necessities. And my poor mom, she, uh, she tried to grab some food that we could eat from the kitchen, not realizing that the soot will have gone into everything, including the things in the refrigerator. I will never forget the taste. She had just baked a cake the day before, and she gave us some of the cake. It was supposed to be orange cake, and my mom makes a killer orange cake. And so she had given us each a piece of the cake because we were hungry. It was after school that this happened. We were hungry. And of course, what did it taste like but soot? That's all it tasted like. And so I will never forget the flavor of fire in my mouth. For the longest time, I couldn't eat Burger King at all. The burgers, because they tasted like that. Um, or eat like from a cookout if it was overcooked because it tasted like fire. Um, so my dad had a mental breakdown and after we figured out the insurance and my family started to fix the house and we rented a little, um, like a camper, a really old, really rickety rundown camper. Pharaoh, get off of there. Hi, baby. We lived in the camper in the backyard. And uh, my dad left. He just left. And went and started a new life in Denton. Um, got himself a girlfriend. Had a family. You know, had a life. Lived in an apartment. And then a few months later, every once in a while, he'd come home and see my mom and my brother. Dole out beatings for whatever random shit we'd done. And my brother stole one of the guy's cell phones that was working on the house and a nudie mag 
idiot. And uh, my father found out. And my mom beat him. My dad beat him. Then he had to go and apologize. And uh, give back the phone and the magazine. Um, they were more upset about the magazine than the stealing of the phone. They were upset about the stealing of the phone. But, you know, being super uber crazy religious, they uh, were more upset about the magazine. Around that time also at the church... Um, we were really big into the church. My father was a deacon. He was in charge of the treasury. Um, my mom taught Sunday school. My dad used to teach Sunday school before that. And, um, we were really big in the church and we were there several days a week and around about right after the, or right before, right before the house fire. My dad was making great money at the time. Like, we grew up super poor, but we didn't know it. We had food on the table, or my parents would have, like, a fun day of let's eat popcorn for dinner, you know? Or let's just, you know, see what we have in the kitchen and what we can do with one can of beans, you know? Like, we didn't realize it till we were older as to just how broke we were all the time. But right before the fire, my dad had gotten a promotion, and he had been making good money and our tithe to the church that year, because yes, in the South, you tithe Southern Baptist folks tithe 10% of all of your earnings. And, uh, so our tithe that year is we bought computers, which were state of the art at the time. Now you would look at them and think they were dinosaurs, um, for the church. And we had a new pastor and that new pastor was from a large church in Houston. And he was not used to running a teeny tiny podunk town church. Ain't nobody have money at this podunk town church. Sometimes tithe was in food or, you know, cause people were farmers. So you'd get corn or you'd get what have you, you know? And, uh, we bought computers. That was our tithe that year. It was 10% of my dad's earnings for the year. Um, it was like two or three computers that we bought. I can't remember how many, two or three and, um, monitor everything and money went missing from the coffers for the, the church. And unfortunately with my father being the treasurer, it looked at him. And so ironically enough, the woman that used to teach older school for kids um she was a police officer and she accused my father with no evidence that it was him but because he was the treasurer she accused him um she led a committee to kick my father out of the church and so she did and this was right before the fire and then the fire happened and then my father had his existential crisis and moved away and so of course his faith was shook and uh not long after the fire, we found out that the pastor just hadn't given in his uh, receipts. He had taken money from the church store storage, from the church money, and had, you know, taken the kids on a field trip and put them up in a hotel overnight. And uh, he just forgot to put the uh, the receipt in there. So... Uh, so that happened. 
But um, after the fire, things seemed to get better. They uh, rebuilt the house. The house, they closed in the carport, made a larger living room. They put a sliding glass door where the patio was. And they made everything exactly how my mother wanted it, with an octagonal window to boot. She always wanted a random-ass octagonal window in a house. So she got that, and she was happy for it. And um, I don't know how long it was before my dad came back. And he said that he had been applying to jobs elsewhere and that he got a job offer in Virginia. And so, of course, my mom, wanting to save their relationship because he'd been gone for a while, um, of course, was like, absolutely, we're moving to Virginia with you. So we all moved to Virginia. And we moved to this cute little house on Alta Vista Drive in Winchester, Virginia. And uh, we lived there for a few years. And my dad left again, not long after we moved to, Flo to Virginia. I want to say it was a year, maybe two, after we moved there. And I have a lot of really great memories of my dad during this time. Um, he brought me to work once, and uh, the first time I ever tried a Cobb salad... By the way, I do not like Cobb salad. Um, blue cheese is an abomination and should never go anywhere near anything that I'm eating ever in my life. And my father decided to get one Cobb salad with blue cheese and one without. And he gave me the one with blue cheese so I could try it. I did not know this. I just thought, you know, yummy salad. So I put my salad together and I put my salad dressing on it and I get all excited and I take one giant bite of salad. 11, 12 year old girl here. Okay. And I immediately, I take one bite and I'm like, uh, uh, no, spit it out in the trash. My father's laughing his butt off. He's laughing so hard. He almost falls out of his chair. He goes, you don't like it, do you? And I was like, no, he goes, that's because it's blue cheese. It's like, well, why is it blue? He goes, it's mold. I about hurled. If I'd had anything in my stomach, I'd have hurled. He's laughing so hard. He gives me his salad. He's like, that's why I got this one. My father, like I said, was not a bad guy. Yes, bad things happen. But this is the same man who in ninth grade, I he took me out shopping for a homecoming dress. And I got the perfect dress. It was black and flowy and gorgeous and wonderful. And me, being an idiot... Decided I was going to iron this dress because there was one little uh, wrinkle in it. Well, me also being an idiot. Um, the material could not be ironed, and I didn't know this. And I melted a hole through this dress. So my father, on the night of homecoming, took me back out to the mall, took me to JCPenney, and went with me everywhere to find a dress that fit me looked good on me and that I liked and ended up buying me this beautiful silky red dress. He then bought me red shoes to go with the red dress. And then he took me to get my hair done because he knew I was upset. So he had my mom take me to get my hair done. And then he took me to homecoming where I met with my friends and had a great night. So yes, he was a wonderful father and he went above and beyond. And I don't like to speak ill of him really because He's dead, and I I wish every day that I could talk to him about certain things, you know? At the end of his life, or near the end of his life, he and I had a talk. 
nice long talk about everything that happened. And he was very remorseful about everything that happened. And he was like, look, I didn't know what I was doing. He didn't understand at the time what was going on. And we were able to fix things there. <sighs> Probably about a year before he died, we were able to fix things really well. And I'm eternally grateful that I was able to have that closure with him. Because I have just as many good memories as I do bad memories. If not more good memories. Because once we moved to Virginia, and after Dad left again, the beatings basically stopped for the most part. My mom, well, she kind of went crazy because her husband left her again. Uh, my dad ended up in jail at one point for, gosh, I barely even remember why. And life just continued on, you know? My mom did the best she could. And then when we couldn't afford to live in that house anymore, we moved into an apartment. And the last time my mother ever hit me, I was 16 years old. <laughs> and I told you I have a mouth on me I always have we were arguing and she said something to me and I said I love you too mother she reached across the the car she was driving reached across the car and popped me across the mouth I stopped I looked at her and I said to her I said you know I just realized everything you've ever done to me along those lines, is wrong and illegal. And understand that if you ever touch me ever again, I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to give them the evidence of what you just did to me now. And I took a picture of my face. And uh, this was flip phone time, so it was very difficult to get a picture of your face. Um, but I still did, because she had popped my lip open. I was bleeding. And I told her that all the beatings that they gave us when we were kids were illegal as well. And I'd go to the police about that as well. This is the last time my mother ever hit me. Of course, at that time, I was mostly taking care of her as well. Making sure that she um, took her medicine on the right time, on the right day. She um, has a lot of medicines that she has to take. And um, so she was not the best um, mentally and so I, I took care of her the best that I could I've always tried to take care of my mom like she's she needs someone to take care of her she needs someone to watch out for her and make sure she's okay make sure she takes her medicine on time make sure she doesn't try to kill herself she did multiple times in my childhood attempt to kill herself um, the most notable time for me was when I got, this was in Texas, I got picked up from school by someone within the church. Um, her name was Marianne and she picked us up from school. Now, mind you, I do not feel comfortable around her family, Marianne. Um, her son, Ryan used to put me in a headlock while I was at church. I used to have to wallop him with my Bible. It was in like a purse to get him to leave me alone. He would touch me without my permission and he would put me in a headlock or he would grab at my chest and he would, not that I had anything for him to grab, but he would. And he just was awful. And so I had to wallop him real good with my Bible. I had a big old um, New King James Bible in like a purse with handles. 
I'd wallop him a good three, four times before he'd let me go. And her husband was very fake nice, I guess. I didn't like him. I didn't trust him. And she, of course, freaked me out one time by just turning to me once and being like, Oh yeah, I like to cut open cow eyeballs. There's lots of layers inside. Why do you tell a little kid that? Anyway, um, so they came and picked us up from school one time and took us shopping. We bought a whole bunch of random ass stuff that I wanted to eat. And uh, come to find out, my mom was in the psych ward for a while. The reason why someone other than my father came to pick us up from school is because my dad was in the process of committing my mom to the psych ward. And she was there for, gosh, it could have been two weeks. It could have been two months. I don't remember. I can't tell. All I know is that time was a rough time. You know, my dad worked an hour, hour and 15 away. Brother and I had to get up, get ready for school, do everything our own, make dinner, make sure everything was good. You know, it was not a good time. And uh, that's the most notable time of when she tried to kill herself. She's arguing with my dad and tried um, taking a bunch of vitamins. But even though it was vitamins, you know, that can still hurt you. In any case, um, I was dating a young man, my first husband. He, um, I dated him from the time I was 12 until we graduated high school. And... Mind you, we broke up a lot. We broke up here and there. We broke up for stupid reasons. We broke up for good reasons. You know, on and off, on and off. He was my very first um, real true boyfriend. He was my first kiss. He was my, a lot of my firsts. And uh, I married him out of high school. I was 18. He went into the military. Uh, he was a Marine. And uh, he... And I got married, probably because it was the next logical thing to do. He proposed to me <laughs> at a party um, that he and his little redneck friends were having. Uh, he took me aside and he basically was like, look, I want to marry you. And he gave me his military ring. And it was so big and so heavy. And uh, that's not... And, um, we were married about a year. I went down to hit where he was stationed to try and get, um, you know, leave to live on base and to get my medical card and everything of that nature. And it didn't happen. He just didn't feel like doing it. I ended up spending several days in a hotel, a roach motel, basically by myself because he didn't really want to come see me much, but I did stay the night in his, uh, barracks one of those nights you're not supposed to do but we did um but he got deployed so while he was deployed we talked we sent letters back and forth blah -de blah and he comes back from deployment and i wanted to go see him and my mom wouldn't let me um we were in tennessee we were visiting my grandmother and my great-grandmother because great-gram was getting up there and she thought she was going to go soon and uh she didn't at that point. She did later on, but at that point she wasn't going. And I wanted to see my husband 
you know, I wanted to see my husband. He got back from deployment. He was overseas. I wanted to see him and my mom wouldn't take me. She wouldn't let me. She wouldn't allow me to go see him. And so when finally he came back into town, he wanted a divorce and I didn't want to give it to him because I was raised that you don't get divorced. Mind you, my parents' relationship aside. And so I was like, no, I'm not getting a divorce. We don't get divorced. We love each other. He held me close and he whispers in my ear. They will find, they won't find anything of you except for pink mist. And what that means is they taught this man how to be a sniper. This man that was already unhinged, who was mentally, verbally abusive, who occasionally could be physically abusive, and this man who is psychotic, who shot little animals for fun, who just did stupid shit for fun, who I once witnessed tying a empty vodka bottle to a one of the, I guess, arms of a fan and watched it fly around the room and was trying to hit his head on it because he thought it would be fun. This man, who his friends told me a story when I went down there to see him when we were married. One of his friends, his gunner, told me a story about playing Russian roulette with his ex-girlfriend and the guy she cheated on him with. And how if the guy didn't get the bullet, he was going to shoot him anyway. Right in front of the girlfriend. And he hoped that she got blood all over him. That is the type of man that I was married to and I didn't even know. And he threatened to kill me if I didn't divorce him. So I did. But I myself also cursed him at the time. I told him, you're never going to find anyone like me. You're never going to find anyone as patient and loving and kind as me and you're never going to have anyone as easy as me and he never did and for that I don't care anymore I used to be very proud of myself because he got what he never wanted after me he married another woman that didn't work out and then after her he um, ended up with another woman and his extremely racist family disapproved of her because she was Hispanic. And then she got pregnant. He never wanted children ever. In fact, that was one thing about us that he didn't like is that I wanted a baby. I didn't know at the time that I couldn't have them. Um, huh. But I wanted one, and he absolutely did not. He threatened that he would have me get an abortion if I got pregnant, and if I didn't want to get an abortion, he said he'd do it himself. So, I gave him this divorce that he wanted, because I didn't want to be, you know, pink mist. And then, I want to say, about six months later, I met an am another man that I had a relationship with, who was nothing but a mama's boy. It's barely even worth mentioning. Um, and I lived, I had moved out with some friends and I lived in another house. And then a friend of mine 
Her boyfriend had been friends with this one guy for years, since they were children. And my friend that um, was dating this guy wanted me to meet the guy's best friend. And I was like, alright, fine. He's taking me out. And he's paying. And there's not going to be any sex. She's like, alright, bet. So this guy seems so sweet and so wonderful. He takes me out on a date. He walked up and down the entire road because he couldn't find my house. And when he knocked on my house, it was a big house, so I didn't hear it. Because I was in the back of the house. So he walked up and down the street in like a foot of snow trying to find me. And it was so sweet. Took me out to dinner. We had a good time. And then a week later, there was a giant snowstorm. We got snowed in together. And so he ended up staying with me for a little while. About a week. And we fell in love. You know? And we then moved in together almost immediately. Because I needed out of where I was living. My mom... uh, Oh, he needed out of where he was living. And my mom, who was living in the apartment that I had lived in before was running away to get married. (laughs) And um, so that apartment was going to be empty and needed someone to either take over the lease or do something. So he and I moved in to the apartment and we immediately moved in together. And we lived together for years until um, he decided that he was going to look for a job someplace else. And I was like, all right, cool. He got a job here in Florida, and so I followed him, and I moved down here to Florida. Now, I'm glazing over a lot of stuff. Um, Hindsight is 20-20, and you don't realize how things are until you're out of it. And so what I didn't realize at the time is that someone being controlling of who you see, someone being controlling of what money you spend, Someone being controlling of what you say, what you eat, what you do. That's all abusive behavior. Um, Someone telling you that you're too fat or that you're not good enough or that you are not worthy or that you just, they don't see you as something. That's abusive. And so that is how our relationship was. And I didn't even realize because you have to understand with my background, you don't think of his abuse as anything other than physical. You think you're going to be hit. You think you're going to be molested. That's abuse. But mental and verbal abuse is still abuse. And being told that you're too fat all the time. And not being allowed to go and hang out with your friends without him or without permission is abusive. And basically being told that you can't spend the money that you make is wrong. And I was so dependent on him. I didn't have a car at the time. And I made good money at my job and we were happy at the time. And I became very dependent on this person, on my ex. And I guess that's what he wanted. And he knew my father, and my father loved him. 
before my dad killed himself. My dad has some really severe depression, and it turned out we didn't know till the autopsy was done, but it turned out he had stage four cancer. Um, just like his dad, just a different kind. He hugged himself just like his father did. And, uh, so my dad and my soon-to-be ex-husband became very close because my dad would come and visit us and I would make dinner. And, um, every Friday night he would come over for dinner and they would talk and they would joke around and they would have fun and it would be lovely, you know? And you think, you know, your dad loves this guy. He should be the person for you, you know? But that's not always the case. And so I was with him for 10 years. Almost 11 years. 10 years I was with my soon-to-be ex. And I, well, I should say ex. He is my ex. I moved out a year ago, more than a year ago now. Um, but my soon-to-be ex-husband, I was with him for just over 10 years, almost 11 years, married for five of those years. And every day I wasn't good enough. Every day I was too fat. Every day I didn't do something right. Every day he had to nag me about things he wanted me to do. And I'm the type of person that if you nag me to do something, I'm not going to do it. You say, did you do the thing? No. Well, did you do the thing? Did you do the thing? Did you do the thing? The more you ask me, the more I'm not going to fucking do it. It's really frustrating for me. Like, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to do it. Just let me do it. Don't ask me again ten minutes after you asked me to do the thing if I've done it. And don't, he literally walked up to me one day and grabbed my spare tire and grabbed it. And he told me, if you lost this, you would be perfect. And I know a lot of the things that he did, he did out of love because he did love me in his own way. He thought he was helping but the thing is, I told him my story. I told him everything. I told him in even more detail that I'm doing in this right now. I told him everything. And then he used it against me. He would use the things that he knows bothers me to get me to do things that he wanted me to do. He became even more controlling. He would control my finances, what I did, where I went, who I was with. If I didn't answer my phone when he called, he would call again and again. And then he would leave me an angry voice message where he's yelling at me and cussing at me. And then he would call and then he would text me. And if I didn't answer his text, I'd get progressively angrier text messages with more and more and more and more cussing at me to the point that I just had anxiety looking at my phone. To this day, if he texts me, I have hella anxiety. My, my heart drops to my stomach. He wouldn't allow me to see certain people unless I had permission. He wouldn't allow me to do certain things unless I had permission. 
I had to lie to him about where I was if I wanted to have any time away from him. I had to hide money if I wanted to spend any money for anything other than what he had approved. I just... I was a prisoner in my own home. And he would guilt me if I, if I did get permission to go somewhere. He would make me feel bad about it. He'd be like, oh, I wish you were here with me. Or halfway through the allotted time that I was allowed out, I would get a text, when are you coming home? Or a call, I need you to come home now. He would call me at work if the dog got into the trash for me to come home and clean up the trash and then go back to work. And if I didn't do it, it would be hell to pay. He would call me at work to come home and medicate the dog if the dog was on medicine because he couldn't do it. And if I didn't, there'd be hell to pay. He would not sift a single cat box, although he enjoyed having both cats that we had. He wouldn't feed them. He wouldn't care for them. He wouldn't do the dishes. I hate doing the dishes, but I did them. He wouldn't do anything unless he had to. Football was his religion. He'd have football on the entirety on Sunday, um, Monday, Thursday, and on the days that they was on Saturday. So I couldn't do anything. And if I tried to do something with my friends while he was busy, I had to clear it with him. And heaven forbid we go do something that costs money, like going to a movie. I tried my best to be a good wife. I tried my best to do right by him. I tried my best to follow his rules and do everything that I could. But sometimes you just get tired of being the only one that cleans the bathroom, of being yelled at for no reason, of being griped at and just constantly told that you're not good enough. He wouldn't cuddle with me no matter how much I wanted him to. He wouldn't hold my hand in public. He wouldn't even hardly kiss me in public. In fact, I'd be lucky if I had sex once a month or every other month. The man would buy me a toy every once in a while and be like, here you go, use that. But it just, it wasn't enough. I was never enough, ever. I was never enough. And eventually we started having yelling matches because we just... He would talk to me in such a tone that made it clear that I was less than dirt. My first husband straight up told me that he hated me, that I was horrible, that I was a terrible person, that I was the worst thing, the biggest waste of air. And the next day he'd call me and tell me he loved me. My second husband didn't have to say those things. He implied it. The reason I'm telling this story today is because on Monday I have a court date to finalize my divorce for my second husband. I will finally be 100% free on Monday. And I am having panic attacks and anxiety out of the wazoo about having to face my 
abuser again. I don't want to have to do it, but I have to. Because unfortunately, these things in life, you don't have a choice. In Seminole County here in Florida, you have to go to court to finalize a divorce. My first divorce was all done through the mail. It was great. Easy peasy, sign a paper, done. This one, not so much. I have to go to court in front of a judge, explain to them what happened, and then tell them why I want a divorce. And thing is, my ex is not a horrible person. He's a horrible partner. He's not a bad guy around. He's a decent friend. He's an all right person. He's just a terrible partner. Maybe he was just a terrible partner to me. I don't know. I don't know. I got tired, so tired of yelling and so tired of being sad and so tired of crying all the time. So tired of being told no. So tired of small requests turning into arguments. Tired of having to watch what I said around his friends. Like, we did great things together. We had great vacations and great times. And when things were good, they were wonderful. But when things were bad, they were horrid. He never laid a finger on me, which is good. Because after my past, anyone who ever laid a finger on me would not do well. But you don't have to lay a finger on someone to hurt them. And I will never forget. We were out with friends and uh, something was said about key lime pie. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to have real, true key lime pie from Key West. And we had been there. And we went to Key West. And I was allowed to pick the excursion that we did that day. And I wanted, because it was a cruise, made a stop in Key West. And then it went to two different places in the Bahamas and then came back home. And um, it was a great vacation. I'll always remember it as one where I tried conch for the first time. Delicious, by the way. And I swam in the Caribbean and the water was teal and clear and beautiful. And, but when we went to Key West, I wanted to go to the Hemingway house. I thought he would like it because he was a fisherman and Hemingway was a fisherman and a man's man. But he hated it. He didn't even know who Hemingway was. And uh, he ended up playing with the little six-toed kitties all, all the whole time. And we ended up taking really long walk of Key West. And I was all about it because you know what? I always wanted to see this place. This is someplace I've never been. I've always wanted to see. And when we get back to the main road where all the touristy stuff is, I just really wanted to try real key lime pie from Key West. Of course, Dana's like, no, absolutely not. You don't need that. You don't need that. And so we get back to the States and we're doing our thing and whatever, whatever, whatever. And I just happened to mention to my, fr to our friends, yeah, I always wanted to do that. And they were like, weren't you there? And I was like, oh yeah, I wasn't allowed to have it. They looked at him. He looked at me. When we got in the car, he tore me a new one. Embarrassing him in front of his friends. Heaven forbid I say something like that. He's not a monster. There are so many times like that that I just told a story, just a story of what had happened in my life at that time, told a fact, and it would upset him. 
Heaven forbid. And I would never know what would upset him at the time. Heaven forbid I say something that I think is nice about him. And it would set him off. Heaven forbid I say something that was factual. And it would set him off. More than once he had taken me aside and be like, come here. And we'd go aside and he would start berating me. Even in front of other people, he would start berating me about what I'd done or said. Or heaven forbid, if it was a work event, I'm the perfect wife or girlfriend. I charm people. I, I do anything for my partner because I want my partner to feel loved and wanted and cared for. That's how I am. That's how I've always been. And he took it to his advantage because we would go to like a work function and I would just socialize with people and make him look good because, you know, I dress up nice and I say nice things to people and I know how to work a broom. And then when I'm done in the car, I would get yelled and screamed at because I must have said something wrong that I didn't even know I'd said wrong. Heaven forbid. And, uh, just everything I did was wrong. The way I eat a sandwich was wrong. If it comes out to me and it's at a restaurant and it's not arranged the way I like it, it won't taste the same. So I have to rearrange it. That would annoy him. I have an inner ear problem. And so when I stand up, especially if I stand up too fast, I have to put my arms out so that I have balance. That would annoy him to no end. Um, the fact that I take joy in the little things in life. I want to stop and smell the flowers. I like shiny things. I like glittery things. I like Halloween. I like pushing the buttons on the little creatures that dance on the holidays. You know, the little plastic critters that dance. I love that. It drove him crazy. Made him so mad. And the thing that broke the camel's back was I was out with friends. I was actually allowed out. I was not supposed to be at a tattoo parlor, but I was allowed out. And my friend and I, we were at our tattoo place. And I just thought, what the hell? They do piercing there. She's getting a tattoo. I'm going to get a piercing. Fuck it. So I pierced my left nipple. I love my piercing. Mind you, I walked around that house without a bra and without a shirt on for two weeks. That man did not notice my new piercing. Two weeks walking around the house half naked. Nothing. Two weeks walking around. You can clearly see it under a shirt because I don't wear a bra when I'm at home. Nothing. Finally, I come up to him and I was excited. I was like, so I did something and I hope you like it. And hopefully it'll spice up our sex life. Because at this point, I was just trying anything to get him to have sex with me. Because he just wouldn't. He wouldn't. I'm not that fat. I'm a very sexual person. We went from having sex every day to not having sex except for once every maybe two months. If I was lucky. Heaven forbid that I asked him to have sex. He would tell me no every time. I would get up in something beautiful and sexy. I could sit on his lap and he'd be like, no, get up. Go get dressed. Especially during football season. Heaven forbid I try it while football's on. Oh, God, no. Get up, get dressed, go make me a sandwich. Like, no. Absolutely not. And I got tired 
so tired of being turned down. And then he got to the point where he would ask me, why don't you ever initiate? Well, because you always tell me no. So then he said, no, I won't. So I try. And he tells me no. So we would plan times to have sex. And I would get home before him. And I would put on the sexiest thing I own. And I'd be waiting for him when he came in the door. And what would he do? He would come in. He'd take off his shoes. He'd play with the dog. Oh, hi, puppy. How you doing? He'd sit on the couch, turn on the TV. I'm standing there in lingerie. And something sexy. And he doesn't even look at me. He looks at the TV. He watches TV for about 15 minutes. And I look at him. And I'm about ready to cry. And I'm like, so are we doing this? He's like, yeah, give me a few minutes. I just got home. This was what we planned. You told me to be ready for you when you got home. He never was. And sometimes I'd have my thing on. He'd be like, no, I'm tired. I'm sorry. No. So... Getting the nipple piercing was really spur of the moment. I'd always wanted them done, but he <sighs> had never seen it as a thing. And I guess I never really talked to him about it. But I got one done, just the one, because I wanted it to heal properly before I got the other one done. I've realized now I don't want the other one done. I'm happy with it how it is. And I showed him. And immediately his face turned red. And he looked at me and he walked away from me and went upstairs and slammed the door to his room. Because mind you, at this point, we'd been sleeping apart for years. Because he couldn't take my snoring and he didn't like to be touched. So he slept in the spare room and I slept in my room with the cats and the dog. And he just went upstairs and slammed the door to his room. The next day, I gave him a whole day of silence so that he could work through whatever made him so mad about my, my piercing. The next day he comes downstairs and we've been sitting there. I made dinner. He hadn't talked to me. I tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't talk to me. He got in my face, his face as red as a tomato, screaming at me, spit flying, hands clenched in fists at his side, literally screaming at me about how I did not have permission to pierce myself. They were perfect and they were his and I should have asked his permission before piercing my nipple and how I disrespected him by doing that to myself without his permission or even with his permission and how how could I be so stupid as to do that and how could I have ruined myself so much and how he's not even attracted to me anymore at all because of what I'd done to myself and how... Um, I was disrespectful to him and that I did clearly didn't care for him because I didn't speak to him about it from the time he found out until then and that I should just leave because clearly I don't care about him screaming in my face. I thought I saw my father. I thought I was six years old again, about to get beaten within an inch of my life about to be bloody and bruised and welted all over again. I was so scared and I couldn't put space between us like I normally would when we yelled at each other because I was sitting on the couch and he was over me. He was standing over me and I couldn't run away. And when he was done, he told me I might as well just move out. And so I did.
The next day, I talked to my mom about what happened, and I made my decision. I came home, and he came home with flowers, thinking that just like all the other times that I had told him I was done, that he could get me flowers and sweet talk me and I would change my mind. And I sat him down and I told him, I was like, look, this isn't working. So many different things. So many different things. Most chief about them that we don't get along anymore and I'm tired. I'm so tired of fighting. One of them being that I had a doctor because I had a lot of medical issues the year before. I had a doctor straight up tell me that I could have children. And Dana, my ex, didn't want children at all. And I do. I want a baby. I think I'd be an amazing mom. I think I'd be wonderful. I want a little girl. But I explained to him that I was done. And that I was going to find a place and I would leave. So I started looking for a new place. And it took me a little while. I finally found myself a nice little apartment, really cute little place. And they wouldn't have an apartment ready for me until the end of the, f the, the very next month, which was fine. I explained to him, I was like, look, I'm going to be here for a little while. We'll be roommates, you know, but I'm going to be moving. The hostility doubled. I was out of the house all the time because I didn't want to be near him. I was crying all the time because this man who was my husband can't do anything but scream and yell at me. He can't look at me without getting angry. This man that I loved for 10 years was treating me like I was the worst thing in the world. And I was never home because I couldn't take it. When I was home, he was horrible to me. He constantly yelled at me and said horrible things to me. And when I wasn't home, he would blow up my phone calling me, where the fuck are you? What the fuck are you doing? Where are you? Who are you fucking? Till the day I moved out. And we would have some days where we were cordial. The day I moved out, he left a note on the counter. He was angry that I had my friend with me helping me move. He wanted to see my apartment. He wanted to see it so he could see where it was. And he thought that I would take him here. And he left me a note. Said, I better leave the keys on the table or else... Get all of my fucking shit out of the house. And he never wants to see me again. And that's fine. Except for that there was a threat inside that message. Or else. And so I took all my things and I left. And he turned off my phone. So I went and got a new phone and a new number. And blocked his old number. And I had to pawn my wedding ring to pay for the rest of everything that he caused me trouble with. And I have been living on my own for a year now. And it's lovely. I'm free. And on Monday, I will legally be free of him. And it's wonderful. And the thing is, is that you got to understand that my story, it's not an easy one to listen to. I know this. It's not an easy one to tell. And I know that I've lost some things and missed some things and 
There's a lot more to my story to ju than just what I've said. But that's the bare bones of it. And I know that it's not for everybody. Um, but I'll be legally free on Monday. And I have a better life now. My life is so much better. I'm happy for the first time ever in my life. I'm completely happy. And for the first time ever in my life, I don't have anyone in my life that's abusing me in any way. No one yells at me for no reason. No one hits me. No one tells me that I'm not worth anything. No one treats me like garbage. I have this wonderful life in my little place with the people that are important to me. The little kitten and my dog and a job that I love and fun hair that I've never been allowed to have. My ex never would have ever allowed me to have this hair color that I have. I have pink, purple, and blue hair and I love it. I just got a nose piercing last month. I had got my sixth tattoo last month. Things I never would have been allowed to do if I was still with him. I never would have truly found out who I am and would have embraced my inner self would have never fallen in love with myself again, would have never realized my badass bitchiness. I never would have known my true self if I'd stayed in that situation. And so I'm proud of myself. I guess I am a badass woman in some days. But that's why my person that is so dear and true to my heart this person that I love very much asked me to tell my story because it's not an easy one and they know that it's not an easy story but it's a good story for the fact that now as of Monday that's all completely behind me now I don't ever have to deal with that ever again I never have to speak to him again if I don't want to and I'm completely free of the last of my baggage and I can move forward and I can have whatever I want in my life. I can be whomever I want to be. I can be anything that I want to be. And I am so close to being my perfect self. I'm so close to being my perfect self that I love myself. I'm me for the first time in my life. And it's beautiful. And I hope that everyone has that chance to find out who they really are. I really wish that for everyone, even if there's pain ahead of it, to find out who you are, to love yourself enough to get yourself out of a bad situation. So please understand, I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just stating facts things that happened and I hope everyone has a wonderful week um, next week is going to be a difficult week for me but uh, looking at the calendar tomorrow is the 10th um, I want to say that the solstice is on the 22nd and so yes it is 
So, um, not next week, but the week after. Um, actually, next week I will be talking about the solstice and um, Mabin, because I want to talk about it before um, the solstice occurs. The solstice is on the 22nd. So that everyone that is interested can uh, prepare for a Mabin celebration if they choose to do so. I certainly will. Um, but I hope you all have a wonderful week. I hope you all enjoy yourselves. I hope you live your life to the best of your ability. I'm going to pull out my, um, oh gosh, can't think of his name now, but he says to live your best life. Um, hairdresser. Why can't I think of his name? I love him. I watch all of his videos. Um, but I hope you all know that you are loved more than all the stars in the sky. And if you would like to reach out to anyone, please do. My email is CerberusMagic at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at CerberusMagic. I'm here for you. If you have a similar story or you want to talk about yourself, or heck, if you want to be on my show and tell your story, you can. Just message me. Talk to me. I'm here for you. Um, until next time, please know that you are loved, and I hope you have a wonderful evening.